What's the old saying? A, a face for radio? I have been told many times I have a face for radio. That's not nice. And a voice for mime. I disagree. I think you have a nice so, speaking voice. My brother got the, the voice and the looks in our family. I, I, when I, think I got of, the baldness. Oh, wait, so did he. We both got the baldness. At least Heidi so. didn't get the baldness. Yeah, that's really good for her. Way to go, it's, Heidi. That's preferable. Um, when I ever think of your brother, I think maybe it's just because I'm you know, not like, I don't have a lot of conversations with him, but it's, <laughs> he speaks softer than you do. <laughs> I'm not sure everybody would disagree with well, that. But, you know, he's, I do get a little fired up sometimes. He might also, as we talk about things. But he is a deeper voice, and, yeah, you know, it's just the way it is. I think you purposely tried to make your voice deeper. He is a deeper voice. Uh, I think that's just the fact that it's <laughs> still morning and oh, don't know, even late talk morning, to me about but it's still morning. morning so. my, I went to wash my French press last night, and it broke. And it was the thing that nightmares are made of because <laughs> it's my only way to have coffee in the morning. And it's one of the reasons I don't have like a drip coffee maker because I don't want it to break down and then not have coffee. So my French press is reliable. Da, 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 da. I put it in my dishwasher. I close the door and I hear... This is not good. I think my life flashed before my eyes. So I immediately ordered a new one on Amazon and it will be here today. <laughs> but this morning I had to drink instant coffee and it was an absolute nightmare. I was going to ask if you cooked it in a pot on the stove or something. I, I would so. have done anything. I would have ran to Speedway if my child wasn't sleeping. <laughs> anyway, so it's an instant coffee morning, which is not a great morning. Doesn't sound tasty to me, but... How are you going to equate that to what we're talking about? Oh, did we start already? <laughs> I didn't know that yes, we were starting. Last week was pizza talk. Wow, this week is coffee that, talk. That is... That is something. We are indeed my, the home of professional podcasts. Put on my Mike Myers wig and we'll have coffee talk. So we had uh, we had pizza last week and we have coffee today. That's These are a few of my favorite <laughs> I things. I probably should have been paying a little more attention here and been a little more engaged to oh, so what we were talking about. Okay. So what you I'm know, saying is as link say coffee that, to what we're talking about. You know, since I should have been more engaged, dance, we're, monkey, dance. we're really talking about being engaged today, being engaged hey. with the world. <clears throat> and coffee is going to cause you to be disengaged, perhaps, from our from our situation. But but the thing of it is, as Christ followers, we are, uh, we are called to an engagement with the world. Not to be like the world uh, and not to b- belong to the world, but there is... Um, there's a very real sense in which we have to, in order to honor God, we have to engage with the world. We can't just pull away. Mm-hmm. And so if we live a Christian life uh, that is like my life at the beginning of this podcast, where we're just not paying attention and not really aware of what's going on, then we're not going to be effective ambassadors for Christ. And so in the world that we're in, that's too many ins. I apologize for my excessive prepositions. But in, in this world in which we live, we have to pay attention to what's going on. We, we need to be aware of the way, uh, I hesitate to say the way the game is played or the rules of the game. That, that seems rather crass, and, and I don't really mean to do that. But um, our memory verse this Sunday was uh, Matthew ten sixteen, where uh, Jesus told his disciples as he was sending them out, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And then he called them in light of that because we are being sent out. They in particular, and us by extension, are being sent out into a hostile world in which we're in danger. And, and 
he knows that it's not an accident. God's God's aware, and so as Christ sends them out, as we've been sent out, we're going into a hostile environment uh, among people who are, whether conscious or by instinct, waiting to devour us. And those are the very people that we are called to minister to. Well, for us to do that, we have to be, as he said, shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And so as Emma and I, my daughter, are uh, working on this verse every day on the way to school and talking it through, we've been, you know, yesterday we talked about what does it mean that he sent us out as sheep among wolves. And today we talked about what does it mean to be uh, shrewd as snakes. And then tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about what does it uh, mean to be as innocent as doves. But the idea here is that for us to go into this hostile world, recognizing, as Paul wrote in Romans 8, that the, the mind that is controlled by the sinful nature, controlled by the flesh, is hostile to God. It's the very, very nature of humanity apart from Christ is we are hostile to God and our sin nature doesn't submit to God. There are no seekers in that sense because mm-hmm. we, we don't have it in us to even desire God. We're hostile to God and we don't submit to him nor can we do so. And so there is a, a, a real danger as those of us who are in Christ go and seek to minister to a world that is hostile to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so for us to just hum along in our little Christian environment and not be aware uh, of what's going on, tripping merrily down the lane, um, I just had a Bugs Bunny moment in my mind, but as we are, uh, as we're just, you know, life is you know, butterflies and rainbows, then we're not really engaged in this world that, that is going on all around us, that we're, we're swimming in this soup of the natural world. And we have to be aware in order to be able to connect. We can't be ambassadors. We can't represent uh, our kingdom that we are actually a part of uh, if we're not engaged in the kingdom where we live. And so that that whole dynamic is really what we're talking about this week. As we look at Paul in Acts 25, um, he finds himself in this situation where he's once again, you know, facing these these hearings. A new governor, so the process has kind of started over. Um, he's he's been saved by the secular government, you know, under God's guidance because that's how it works in a world where we have a sovereign God. Uh, but he's been saved by this secular anti-God government uh, from the mob justice of the Jewish leadership and, and those who are uh, defiantly uh, rejecting the gospel. Now, after two years of, of waiting to, to be dealt with, I mean, Felix had pretty much found him to be innocent of the charges two years prior, but didn't release him because he's uh, mm-hmm. just kind of stringing this thing along uh, to appease the Jews. Now, a new governor, Festus, comes in. Festus uh, is kind of picking up where Felix left off, but he's got to hear this stuff all over again. He gets in and also recognizes this is silly, you know, and, and we'll see in the rest of the chapter next week that uh, he, he says to the Jewish king, uh, uh, Agrippa, 
says, you know, I didn't hear from them the charges I was expecting. I was expecting some kind of insurrection mm-hmm. thing and all this kind of stuff. But instead, they're they're quibbling about the, the you know different nuances of their superstition, their religion, and talking about this dead guy Jesus that Paul claims is alive. I don't even know. He's appealed to Caesar. I'm sending him to Caesar. I don't even know what to tell Caesar because this whole thing seems silly to me. So anyway, the whole process starts over. And Paul, in facing Festus, makes a very simple defense. I mean, it's kind of a recap section here to, to transition from where we were to where we're going. And Paul, after the, the Jews once again make their charges, can't prove it, and even the original accusers aren't even there you know, at the trial. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul just says, yeah, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything against them. I didn't do anything against the temple. I didn't do anything against Caesar. And, you know, that's it. I'm innocent. Festus says, well, then are you willing to come to Jerusalem with me and face the charges before them there? And whether Paul knows that the Jews have set up an ambush or not, they've already done that previously. Right. He's no dummy. He's He sees the folly of this situation. And he asserts his rights as a Roman citizen. So he's engaged in the, in the civic situation where he finds himself. So rather than just going along, and we have some Christians who, who kind of have that mentality, well, you know, because I'm spiritual, I'm just not going to engage with the world. I'm, just, I'm, I'm too spiritual for that. Just go ahead. I'm a martyr. You know, put me to death. Whatever you got to do, I'll wear it as a badge of honor. That's not the approach that Paul takes. But he does say, look, if I've done anything wrong that deserves death, I'm not opposed to dying. I, mm-hmm. I, that's not the problem here. But if I haven't, then nobody has the right to turn me over to this mob mm-hmm. where you know that they're going to have this sham trial. It's not going to be a, a real thing. So he appeals to Caesar. That's the right of every Roman citizen was to, to be able to appeal their, uh, their case all the way up to Caesar. So uh, he's... He then, uh, as he says this to Festus, Festus consults with his own council, not the Jews, but his own folks, and they decide they're going to send him to Caesar. And that's kind of where we leave off. So what do we do with these first 12 verses? Well, what we recognize here is that Paul is acting as a citizen Christian. He is a uh, primarily a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Here as an ambassador, as he'll later say in, in 2 Corinthians 5. So if his whole purpose... Everything that he is about is promoting the gospel. And he's made that clear. He said that to the Ephesian elders a couple chapters ago. He said it uh, to the disciples here when they begged him not to go to Jerusalem. He's like, I'm totally willing to die. I'll do whatever it takes to, to promote the gospel. And yet, he, do, he never pulls out of the world. Everything he does is still engaging with people. You know, when he gets to Athens and this university town, he goes to the place of debate, and he engages with the world. When he is, um, when he's in Ephesus, he 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 not only is dealing with the synagogue, but he's out in the community, uh, especially after the synagogue leaders kind of push him out. He doesn't stop engaging with the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, when he gets, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when he gets to Ephesus before he. Uh, before his friends show up, he's engaged in his trade so that he can support himself. There's, there's a very practical edge to all of the Christianity that we see in Scripture. Uh, it's not what you might see it, whether it's the um, you know the early century Gnostics back in in the first few centuries, 
or if you're talking about any number of mystical groups or, or, or mysticism-focused cults where we just we have to you know, be at one with the universe and we have to pull out of, you know, we'll, we'll try to pretend that our Christianity is not intended to be lived out in the physical world. Clean your chakras. Right. Well, they're really, honestly, you know, while we, you know, I can, I, can, I can joke about being one with the universe or you can joke about cleaning your chakras, but it is astonishing to me how much Eastern mysticism, how much um, uh, proto-Christian mysticism, how much, uh, you know, mid-history uh, Catholic mysticism comes into the church mm. and... And we just are okay with it. Right. I mean, it, I don't know where my chakras are, but they probably need cleaning. Yeah, whatever. whatever <laughs> it is. But but even you know, like the the <clears throat> the mainstreaming of Eastern religion, even yoga. I mean, we. Right. I was trying to talk to my daughter about this because yoga is just a presence in our society. Right. You know, we have yoga pants. You know, I, so I, which I will forever refer to as yogurt pants. But as we, that's different. <laughs> but still, anyway, as we're going, I'm going to go off on the whole thing. I'm going to stop now. About yogurt pants. But, I but, kind of want to hear. That. Nobody else does. Anyhow, as we're as we're, you know, living out our Christian life, we have come to a place now where we have conflated so many things that it's not even representative of biblical Christianity anymore. So right. we've, uh, I just uh, read a Facebook post from my son's former baseball coach at Cornerstone University uh, talking about how we've, we've basically given up the idea of a church that stands apart from society right. while engaging in society. And we have, to a large extent, over the last 40 years, just kind of blended in where Christianity is mainstreamed. And now it became so mainstreamed and became uh, had so much clout and became such a, 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 a an issue of prosperity that now, having not any longer been salt and light in the world, but becoming just like the world, as Jesus said, the salt that loses its savor isn't worth anything but to be thrown out and trampled. That's kind of what the world, and I would suggest also the Lord, have done with most of uh, what we now know as mainstream Christianity or, or uh, you know, a lot of modern evangelicalism because it's not evangelical and it's not Christianity. And so the world doesn't want anything to do with us because who needs it? If we're just like the world, then then why do why does the world need the church? And if we're just like the world, then we're not representing Christ as ambassadors. I think, and you might have a different take on this, do you think that that has become... Um, I want to use a better word, but I don't have one. So more popular because... Insta coffee. <sighs> Darn you, Folgers. Um, because of things like the internet and social media and whatever. Because I, as everybody knows, I am too old for this app, but I am on TikTok and I don't <laughs> post anything, but I watch other people's videos. Because you are so old. And um, there are a lot... TikTok starts, starts to uh, show you videos based on a certain algorithm and things that you like and whatever. So I get a lot of uh, what they refer to as Christian TikTok, and a lot of it I really love. But then there are a lot of people who 
are on there who use the hashtag progressive Christianity mm. and things like that. And they'll uh, watch these videos and they'll say things like, then they truly believe every single person on the planet goes to heaven. Nobody goes to hell. Um, things like that. And I, and I think, wow. This Which platform, they don't actually even believe. But like you can do whatever you, actually you want. Deal You're going to go wickedness. to heaven. You know, if you, if you were to talk about evil people like, uh, you know, because I'm old, I'm thinking of Jeffrey Dahmer or, you know, whatever serial killers, horrible Manson people. Charles several times Charles in this podcast. Manson, so. you know, those same people will talk about how wicked they are right. and the judgment that they will face. So they don't really believe a lot of the things that they're but saying. But I think to myself, okay, this platform in particular uh, is extremely popular with teenagers and young people. So what you just said is... I don't want to criticize anybody, but that's not true. Um, <laughs> no, um, right? But if, if progressive Christianity is definitively and emphatically not okay. Christianity, well, you said it. So, so uh, come for him. <laughs> I, I will say it again loudly and longly. But what I'm saying is, it's longly? kind of scary. Don't say it longly. I, yeah. That seems like it would take a long time. Um, what I'm saying is, this this platform and other social media platforms that uh, I'm not on Snapchat, but I assume it's like the same thing. Uh, are appealing to a younger audience of easily influenced individuals. And on one hand, it's kind of like you said, that that Christianity, quote unquote, that embraces the world or acts just like the world is not what we're called to do. So on one hand, who wants it? But on the other hand, I can see why everyone would want it. Sure. Yeah, I'll be a Christian. We can do whatever we want, and we get right. all the we get all the glory, and we get everything forever. Who and there's no want? cost, and there's no right. rules. So, and so that seems very appealing. It would to me if I didn't know any better. Sure. So that seems very appealing. So yeah, I'll do that. And then you you buy into that, and then you live the rest of your life, unless you choose to you know think um, living that way and and thinking everything is hunky dory, and it ain't. And so that's kind of scary to me and i feel like social media and the internet has just exacerbated that well and you've spent enough time in marketing to recognize that the entire purpose of advertising and marketing is not to drive people away but to draw them in and so when the devil uses his best marketing skills Mm -hmm. to draw people in he's not going to make it unappealing right so you know you look at and it's about i just wrote an article about this five minutes ago before we started this it's about knowing your target audience right. and and appealing to that particular audience and segmentation. And when you think about an app like TikTok or any kind of social media, it's going to generally be a younger audience who might be looking for something or they're very easily influenced or, or ready to sway one way or another. They're deciding who they are in right. life. And so it's so easy to say, hey, this is what you need to be doing. This is great. Look at my life. I can do whatever I want, blah, blah, blah. And that to me is just, I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> well, the only thing that we can do is as Christians to to consciously, actively live as citizen Christians, engaged in the world, but representing the truth of another kingdom. And so, uh, again, our core reality was Christ followers must engage the world as representatives of Christ. In other words, as Christ's ambassadors, we're fully engaged in this world, but we're driven by the gospel mis- mission. We can't do that by just saying, well, I'm... I'm shutting down all social media. Right. You know, there's. I'm not suggesting that that everybody should be on social media, but 
as Christ followers, many of us need to be there. Not because we're going to make it better, we're going to clean it up, although the effect of salt is that it affects what it bonds with, right? So you put salt on your food, not only does it preserve the food, but it changes the flavor of it. Our job, to borrow from Eugene Peterson's The Message, is to bring out the God flavors and God colors in this world. So as we do that, as salt and light, we have to get out of the salt shaker. We, mm-hmm. we, you know, we can't be hidden under a, a basket. We need to be out and actually doing things in the world to be the representatives of Christ, the salt and light for Christ, having an impact on the world around us. So then when Christians, and, and you have uh, famously now sent, sent me numerous TikToks of, of some of these Christian folks after I've mocked TikTok as a pointless thing. It is. Uh, uh, well, apparently it's not because you sent, you've sent me some really good uh, Christian content from TikTok. Short, obviously, because of the nature of TikTok, but but there's, there's an impact there. So somebody is using this platform mm-hmm. to be able to right. be salt and light. Right. Well, if there are more of us doing it, like, for example, having a podcast, that's not something that churches did, you know, right. some time ago, because, you know, when I was a kid, there were no podcasts that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. But you had, you know, whatever the technology. And your nightly time, radio shows. <laughs> when we all gathered around the radio, <laughs> lit the candles so we could see. Anyhow, mocking my age. Uh Whatever age you're in, whatever era you're in, whatever that current technology is. Christians historically have been pretty avant-garde about using that mm-hmm. to, to further the gospel. That's by design. It's not an accident. It's, it goes all the way back to the earliest time of, uh, of the church. Whatever is in place to connect with people, we want to use that mm-hmm. in the world to connect with people. We want to be wise in engaging the world. Somebody might say we need to be shrewd as snakes. We need to be able to, to think wisely and to engage in a way that that understands how things work and and is running into that rather than away from that when we move toward a more monastic lifestyle in other words we not necessarily that we become monks or nuns but when we move into this lifestyle this is my primary focus in my life has to be i have to maintain this purity and i i don't want I don't want to be influenced by the world, so I'm going to shut it down and come away from the world. And, and you know, then we have compounds and whatever else. When that's the way we approach life, then we have forgotten that we've been left here with a great commission. So if I focus on the great command of loving God more than anything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I'm going to get rid of everything else. I'm going to just, all I do is I just sit around and I contemplate God. That's good except for it's not what God wants from us. Mm-hmm. What he wants is for us to live out that great command with the corollary command of love your neighbor as yourself. I can't love my neighbor by sitting in a room by myself with my Bible and praying. Right. I can't do that. All of the commands to love our neighbor always involve a practical element of engaging with their neighbor. That's why Jesus, when he, when he gave an example of what it meant to love your neighbor, told a parable that did not involve uh, sitting around in piety, praying and chanting and fasting and reading the Bible. He, he could have. He didn't. Instead, what he, what he gave it was an example of someone who was not even Jewish, was an outsider, came across someone who had been beaten and robbed, and he took care of their needs, took care of their wounds, set them up in a, in a motel or a hotel, uh, pays for the expenses, 
It was very practical. Mm-hmm. Christianity is called to be both spiritual and practical. It's it's not a blind faith, as we've talked about lots of times. It's a reasoned and reasonable faith based on the history of God's track record, that God is God, period. Therefore, when God says something, I trust God because he has given me reason to trust him throughout human history. If we're talking about the physical aspect of it, we need to be in this world and engaged in this world, but we cannot allow ourselves to fall into the foolishness of thinking that our our greatest good, our best life, is even intended to be now. Mm-hmm. When we do that, then we start to justify sinful things right. because we're, we're kind of measuring out on this scale, well, this evil might outweigh this evil because abortion is a conversation I just had this morning before we came in, as I mentioned to you off the air. Um, when, when I was talking to my friend, the pastor that was in question was not only um, not only just caught up in the politics of our of our current milieu, but it was defending abortion. And the defense that very often will come up with Christians, so-called, in in trying to defend the idea of killing babies for the greater good, I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment, is that. Well, there are too many people not adopting unwanted babies. Now we have these unwanted babies. And and, and, uh, there were several churches that uh, had signed a document sent to the Supreme Court a number of years ago, many years ago now, that essentially said, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially said, these babies are better off dead than coming into the world into an unwanted situation uh, where it's going to be hard for them. It's going to be hard for their mom, going to be hard for their their life. So a hard life... You know that's just not worth living, right. and so it's better. We're we're better justified. It's merciful to murder them. I've also heard that most women, statistically, in talking about late-term abortions, uh, by that point, a woman has probably dis- they're saying has probably decided to keep the baby, and that something, if they're going to carry it almost to term. And something has happened, whether it's a medical condition that would make either put either their life at risk or the child's life at risk or whatever that causes them to decide mm. on an abortion. On paper, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Except for the fact that there, I've not yet found a single doctor ever. No, politicians, yes. I've never found any doctor who has said there is a medical reason for the health of the mother to deliver the child partially kill the child kill the in child, that right. so that you can save the mother. I've heard that before, is, we have to deliver this baby now for your health, absolutely. but killing but it is a But the idea of, of partial birth abortion, when we get to that, that point, uh, when we're dealing with those things, you are not doing that for the sake of the mother. And I, I didn't bring that up to talk about no, abortion. No, I know. I just wanted my, to... My point is that when we begin to think of this life as the be-all and end-all, then we begin to justify things according to human understanding rather than trusting what is good and right and true and, according and I, to God's and word. And I think that's extremely important to touch on right now considering the current uh, political climate. Uh, I know people who yes. are absolutely terrified uh, if one party wins over another. What has, there we go. We're back. Hello. Sorry if there was a pause in the video. Um mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, I, I, and that's exactly like you just said. I, I get it because I have my own political beliefs and and am voting for a particular individual. But if that individual doesn't win, 
Um, you know, we, life we, goes life on. Life goes on. The world keeps turning. In every election, right. you have a situation where half of the people voting can't imagine what life will be like right. when the other candidate wins. Right. And, and yet the world has not yet stopped right. <laughs> in the last, you know. And ultimately, if, you know, I've heard the argument, well, this could be the demise of America. We could, right. we could cease to exist as a nation. Not likely. We've said that for well over 100 years. And it was probably true in the first hundred years and hasn't been true since. But, you know, even if that's the case, so what? You know, and I say this as a, as a veteran and a patriot. I love our nation. I love the United States of America. Um, but the Bible doesn't say find your identity in your Americanism. The Bible doesn't say that America exists when, when the Lord returns. I have no idea what God has in, in store for that. And it doesn't matter, ultimately. It matters in the now, but it doesn't matter in the ultimate. But I guess Eternity is much longer and much bigger and much broader. And we, Christianity has thrived under despots and dictators and persecution throughout its history. And only in the last 10 minutes of history, really, have we seen, you know, during this experiment in ordered, uh, in ordered liberty, have we seen the kinds of freedoms that we have mm -hmm. now? Even in Western society prior to that, we didn't see the same sorts of freedoms. You didn't see the separation of church and state. A lot of the things that we take right. for granted now, they, they didn't exist. Right. And if they cease to exist, that doesn't change one thing about reality. It right. changes our experience of reality. And that's why we have this podcast, is to try to connect the reality of God that is transcendent, one that reality. is bigger. <laughs> that's right. It's one reality, and it is transcendent. It's beyond. It's bigger, it's longer, it's broader, it's wider, it's deeper than the many experiences that we have in our present reality. So the realities of life are limited in scope, even though they feel like everything and forever in the moment as we live through them. So I think going kind of full, full circle here uh, and tying it into our, our current climate, because <clears throat> the election is just a couple weeks away, don't, I've seen far too many people either on social media or people I know in person, just kind of avoiding it altogether. And I'm right. not saying that anybody should get into some kind of political argument on Facebook because... That's generally not productive. Let's not do that. But don't run from reality. Uh, I'm right. telling myself that as well because I've... There have been times throughout this past it's year... It's very tempting, isn't it? It is. And, like, and on top I'm done, of the, I'm checking out. Right, I've and on top enough. of all the craziness of this year... It's just been a lot. There's so much uncertainty, it seems, mm -hmm. going on. It's just a lot all at once. And it's very easy to just kind of want to back and do a corner and not deal with anything. Right. <laughs> Go out of the frame of the... Um, but I need to tell myself this, too. Audio it's, listeners miss the glory of your visual. I was going to do, like, one of those walk down the stairs. Right. Thing. But uh, don't don't run. Don't right. run away from from what the real reality is, Absolutely. regardless of who wins the election, regardless of what happens with COVID, regardless of whatever. Um, and I'm telling myself that out loud so I can listen to this back <laughs> later and remind myself. So as I Understand that it is a hostile environment. Right. And we live in a world, and we're called to minister in a world, where the very people that we are seeking to minister to are... By by choice or instinct, ready to devour us. It is a mm -hmm. dangerous place Including to be. Including family and friends. Absolutely, because those who are accustomed to the darkness 
are always going to be offended by and opposed to the light. That's the nature of things. Uh, When we experience that physically, we get it. The same thing is true spiritually, which is why Jesus said, be aware, Mm -hmm. be on top of things. Don't check out. Don't be foolish. Be shrewd as snakes. Be wise as serpents, another translation would render it. But be innocent as doves. Have the character of Christ so that we are not uh, we are not justifying the end by the mean or the means by the end. So that if we, are, as long as we get to where we're trying to get to, all bets are off. We can do whatever we want to do. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if we there have no righteous rules. means because the righteous ends justify whatever this right. expediency idea. Uh, and Jesus says, "Look, yes, use your brain, be engaged, be smart, but be mine mm-hmm. and represent." In a, in a character that is the fullness of grace and truth that, that reflects the reality of Christ through the relationships that he gives us. That includes our voting. That includes our, our, our conversations. It includes our posts on social media, uh, all of our interactions with people. When we are so angry, and I, I see so much anger from folks these days, from Christian folks, mm-hmm. I'm angry because... And anger, I'm sorry to interject here, in my experience, anger typically stems from fear. Uh, there's Well, there are a lot of things, and fear is certainly one of those things. There, and there are things that we should be indignant about. I, I, think, we, I think Yoda said that. We should be very angry. <laughs> uh, we should be very angry at sin. We should right. be angry at the sin in our own lives. We should be angry that that there are more than that the world is, is promoting killing babies, that that's a horrible thing. But we should be more bothered. We should be actually angry that it's crept into the church. Mm. The, these are the things that should really fire us up. But that doesn't mean we should be angry because somebody's voting for a different candidate than we are, or right. they are disrespecting our candidate, or whatever else. That or is, assuming that that person is on board with 100% everything that candidate does and says. Well, that's right. I, again, and we've said this before, and, and it, it remains true, will always be true. Whether you're voting for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Stacey Cozeal, whoever you're voting right for, in. whoever you're voting for, it is always choosing from the lesser of right. two or more evils because none of us are perfect. None of us are Christ. And so until he's running for office, and he will not, when he arrives, it will be a dictatorship. When uh, Until that time, every candidate is flawed. Mm-hmm. And so you are taking the bad with the good, with all of them. You have to weigh out, as Christ followers, we have to weigh out by our engagement in the, the world, how can we best serve the cause of Christ in this world. And I would love to have a political podcast to talk about these things, but I don't want to. But that's not what we do. And that that's that I think is a distraction. Right. That's why I elected not to be a poli sci major when I, that was my original goal in, in college. You'd be good at that. Well, that one way or another I would have been loud about it. Um, but the reason that that I elected not to is realizing that that's not ultimately where power lies. Right. Power lies in changed hearts, changed minds, and that eternity is much bigger than this life. And so changing a culture has benefit, it has value, but changing a life has more. We need to recognize that we are made for eternity. We are created in the image of God, and we live here as his ambassadors. And the the reality of all of this is that we are to be in the world, not 
of the world. We don't belong to the world. We're not. But we're here. We're not like the world. We're set apart as holy unto God. Uh, but we are in the world, and we are in the world because we are to be for the world. We are sent here on a mission, and because we're here in for the world, we need to be engaged in the world. We need to be participating purposefully. So not just going along as this, as if this life is it, right? Mm-hmm. This is my, my best life now. This is where, where I find all of my blessing and fulfillment. But this life is the title page to the great novel. This is essentially our, and I don't want to overstate this, uh, but in a sense, this very existence that we have here is a means to an end. Mm -hmm. And the end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is how we get that started. This is how we influence others so that they can glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if we check out, we can't do that. And we will stop there. But uh, thank you guys for listening. If you have something to say. That's just so much shorter than last week. It's amazing. I know. So. Uh, <laughs> if you guys want to uh, get a hold of us, feel free to email us at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. You can leave us a message on Facebook or a comment on YouTube or leave us a voicemail at 269-756-RLCC. Boom. And I think that are that's all the ways of communication, <laughs> except for carrier pigeon, but we're open to that too. If there was a pigeon sitting outside this church with a little note attached to it, oh. I would scream with joy so would, someone do it we would certainly post that on facebook and youtube Maybe we would that'd be i wouldn't know to think about that a live pigeon i'm looking at you josh clark anyway <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening everybody Shalom. we will catch you next time